the last miracle. If you or I were God, I would imagine that we would want our final miracle to be huge. We'd want it to be big. We would want it to look like the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade right down the center of Jerusalem. We would want to astound people with our with our feats of healing and with our glorious uh, creations that we would make. I mean, if we're Jesus and we're going to perform the final miracle, we would want it to be a big one. But that's one of the areas in which we differ from God. You see, Jesus' final miracle was similar, in a sense, to what we believe is His first miracle. You see, His final miracle was not this big, elaborate uh big big thing that caused everybody to be in awe and amazement it was not at all like this great spiritual macy's thanksgiving day parade down main street jerusalem in fact this miracle was so small that there was a good chance that many of the people around didn't even know it happened it happened in a dark secluded place It happened late at night, or better yet, early in the morning. And it happened to one man who we believe was an unbeliever. So Jesus, unlike us, in His final miracle, performed it out of the view of most of the public, in the dark, in a secluded place, way past the hour, to a man who was an unbeliever. It doesn't seem right, but if you think about it, his last miracle was incredibly similar to his first miracle in John chapter 2. It happened at the wedding at Cana in Galilee, where Jesus turned the water into wine. Many of the people there at that party or celebration probably didn't even have an idea that he had performed a miracle. It was a low-key miracle. This morning, I think it is important that we look at this final miracle because there are many things that apply. There are five things that I want us to be able to learn about this miracle in particular. The first thing is this, that the last miracle protected his disciples. It says in verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and captain of the temple and the elders who had come to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. This account I'm reading to you is out of Luke chapter 22, verses 47 to 53, but the story is told in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record this event in the garden that early morning. They all record some version of the betrayal of Judas. They all record this moment with Jesus and the remaining eleven 
and ultimately his arrest. All four of them give somewhat a different view or perspective. All four of them, in studying them, it brings out a perfectly clear picture of what was going on that evening. You see, we understand in Matthew's account that Jesus referred to Judas as friend when he came. We understand from Luke's account that, us, that, one, that somebody had struck the high priest's ear and cut it off. We learn from John's account that it was Peter, indeed, the disciple Peter, that swung the sword and cut off the servant's ear. And in John's account, we learn that that servant's name was Malchus. So when we look at all four of the accounts, we get this beautiful picture of all that was going on through those many different sets of eyes. But Jesus' miracle, the healing of Malchus's ear, the reattachment of that ear to Malchus did many things, and the first of which is it did protect the disciples. Now, not in the sense that you're thinking, because I do understand that these men, these troop, this troop of soldiers that were there with the religious leaders, no doubt this was a tinderbox. No doubt that Peter swinging the sword could have definitely caused everything to erupt. It could have caused a serious explosion there in that garden as Peter had stepped out and done that. And the soldiers could have rushed in on Jesus and that band of disciples and, and attempted to destroy them or wipe them out. But I don't believe that Jesus ever thought he was in danger. No doubt, Jesus would have done everything in his power to protect the disciples. In fact, in Matthew's account, Jesus says, Do you not know that I can now pray to the Father and he would send twelve legions of angels? Jesus understood it was not a matter, an issue of them needing protection. They had the protection anytime they wanted it. I believe what Jesus' miracle did was it protected the disciples' witness going forward. You see, what would have happened had Jesus not replaced Malchus's ear? What would have happened had from that moment Jesus been arrested, the disciples dispersed? What would have happened had Jesus sent those disciples out after Pentecost into all the world to proclaim all things whatsoever he'd commanded. What do you think Malchus would have done the first time he would have encountered Peter as a street preacher? Do you think Malchus would have held some vendetta against these Christians because of what Peter had done? Do you think down the road there would have ever been an attempt to retaliate against Peter because of what he had done to Malchus? Quite possibly. Do you think that going forward, had Jesus not stepped in and healed and restored that ear, do you think there may have been a chance that the Christian name would have had a horrible connection to violence and brutality? Jesus actually taught those who live by the sword will also die by the sword in this very story. We serve a God whose kingdom is not advanced through violence. 
We worship a God whose kingdom is not advanced through military tactics or the use of a sword, but rather the use of the word and the proclamation of salvation by grace through faith. We serve a God who wants us to love our enemies, not kill our enemies. He, we serve a God who calls us to bind up the brokenhearted, not beat down the burdened. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. And I believe in the garden that evening when Jesus reached up and grabbed that ear and placed it right back on Malchus's head. What Jesus did was give the disciples an opportunity to move forward, proclaiming the gospel without an attachment of this stigma of violence. You see, when Jesus took away the damage, he also took away the right to retaliate. Now let me just stop here for a minute and, and, and float on this for just a second. Because I want us to remember and know and come to grips with this. That maybe as Christians we have swung the sword at other people. Maybe there have been moments in our life where we have much like Peter acted impulsively and said something we shouldn't have or did something we shouldn't have or not done or withheld something that we should have done out of anger, out of fear, maybe even out of confusion. And we've done those things that have harmed other people. Maybe it's not just people we work with. Maybe it's people in our home, our children or our spouse. Let me tell you something, guys. We are a reflection of Jesus wherever we go. We are to be about His business. We are to bear the image of Jesus Christ. So if that is the case, and we know, and God has made this very real to us, of those areas in which we have swung the sword and wounded or injured other people, we need to seek reconciliation on that. We need to be able to go to that person today and say, I am sorry for what I did. It was wrong. We need to seek restoration over that which has been cut off or wounded. We need to be the initiators in the reconciliation because we were the initiators in the harm. We need to be the ones to be able to go back and, like Jesus, restore to our very best that which was broken through our actions. The second thing was it revealed Jesus' willingness to give Himself. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Earlier in the book of Matthew, this same story in Matthew's recording Jesus said, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. You see, Jesus knew his time. He knew his purpose. He was never caught off guard. He was fully, totally, always consciously aware of everything that was going to happen before it ever happened. And Jesus here in the garden, as they have come now assembling themselves for the purpose of arresting him, Jesus has now used the power that he possessed as God not to protect himself, not to spare himself, 
not to strike out in an attempt to defend. But Jesus used his power to heal. And I have to think that if Jesus, being God, possessing all of the attributes of God in human flesh, if he had the ability to heal, he had also the ability to disappear. If he could have restored Malchus's ear to his head, he could have, like the Old Testament days, blinded the people so they couldn't have seen and walked away. But he didn't. As that band of men, troops, and religious leaders and servants came to take him in, came to cuff him and stuff him, Peter swings the sword, cuts off the ear, and Jesus demonstrates this act of love and demonstrates his power by putting the ear back on. It protected the disciples' witness. It revealed his willingness to give himself. I think some, an interesting verse is 54. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Those words, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. Those are, that would have been an interesting moment, wouldn't it? No doubt that would have been the easiest arrest they ever made in their life. He would not have put up a fight like a sheep before its shearers is dumb, like a lamb going away to the slaughter. Jesus willingly walked and followed. In fact, when it says they led him, uh, led him, and brought him into the high priest's house, I actually think that they probably had to hurry to keep up with Jesus. The third thing, and probably the most notable of all of the part of this story, the real nugget of what this miracle did was it blessed an enemy. You see, Malchus may have been what we would have considered a good man. He went through, had gone and was going through his religious training to be um, in the service of God. Found himself as a servant of the high priest. Have no reason to believe that Malchus was an adulterer. Have no reason to doubt that Malchus didn't love God, at least the God he had learned about. Had no, have no reason to believe that Malchus was a liar in any way. And yet I refer to him as an enemy. Remember, when I'm using this term enemy, I'm not speaking about his moral character in the sense that we would think of it. I'm simply saying, if you were in the garden that day, there were two sides drawn. On one side, you had Jesus and the eleven disciples. And on the other side of Jesus, opposed to them, you would have had the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers, and the betrayer. 
One group was for Jesus. The other group was obviously lined up against Jesus. And Malchus found himself on the other side of that line. He found himself lined up on the wrong side of God. Now, this is where it gets personal. You see, Malchus may have very well been on the outside a good person, but because of this scenario, he was on the wrong side. The Bible tells us, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us that we are not just sinners, but in our natural state, we are enemies of God. We have all found ourselves on the wrong side of God. We may not be adulterers. We may not be murderers. Maybe we are. I don't know. But regardless of how good or how bad we may think we are, the truth of the matter is the Bible says that apart from a saving relationship of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves on the wrong side of God. And Malchus was there that moment because of divine providence, found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time, or some might argue the right place at the right time. Today, let me ask you a really, really simple question. Probably the most simple question you will ever be asked. And undoubtedly the most important question that you will ever be asked. Which side are you on? Have you come to a place where you realize you're on the wrong side of God? You realize that you are a sinner separated from God right now? Do you realize that that sin will bring with it a judgment of eternal damnation? That's what happens when we're on the wrong side of God. But the good news is today, Jesus came to earth to die on the cross to do what? To grab us from that wrong side. To grab us from being enemies of God. To being children of God. To declare the truth that today we can have new life through Jesus Christ. And to reach and to have us come over of our own accord to walk across that salvation, blood-soaked line from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. Instead of striking out Sparing himself, justifying himself, Jesus used that moment, that quick moment, in that dark, secluded place at the wee hours of the morning. He used his power to heal, to put back together. Even someone who was lined up as an enemy. You see, Jesus told us to love our enemies. He told us to do good to those who despitefully use us and persecute us. Jesus never asked us to do something that he himself did not do. And yet there is a fourth thing 
It gave us an example to follow. This is where we begin to talk about protecting the disciples again. Go back to verse 51. Jesus answered and said, permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. If you picked out 50 commentaries over that verse and that one sentence, those three words, permit even this, you would find 25 probably split down the middle on what that verse means. Some would say that Jesus was saying as he heals Malchus's ear, permit even this, that not the disciples, but rather the army was the recipient of that message. They're saying that if Malchus is here and the disciples are here and the army is there, that Jesus is looking at the army and he's saying to them, permit even this or allow even this. What he is, say, what he is doing, they say, is trying to get the army to stay back. To not attack off of Peter's impulsiveness. And Jesus, they say, is putting the ear back on saying, allow this to even happen. Do not attack. Now they will say that the reason he's doing that is because he's teaching the disciples to have authority over those who are against you. To even submit to that authority knowing that you're in the will of God. But that to me puts Jesus in a place I can't find him anywhere else in the Gospels. That puts Jesus in a place where he is acting in a stature of weakness. Let me tell you something. Going back to who Jesus is, if things would have got buck wild in that garden, don't you know that the same man that healed Malchus could have been a surgeon for every one of them? And as he already said, he could, not, could he not pray and call the Lord, his Father, to send 12 legions of angels? I don't believe, I don't believe that the recipient of the audit, the recipient was the troops. I don't believe he was saying, don't strike, I'm putting the ear back on. I don't believe he was telling them, allow me to get this back on. I believe the recipients, the ones who were to get the message, were the disciples. I believe he turned around to them, made sure they knew what he was doing, scooped that bloody cartilage up, and said to those disciples, permit even this, or do this also. Allow your lives to do this. In a moment when he could have been defending himself, in a moment when he could have been securing himself, he used his power not to hurt, but to heal. Oh, Christians, I believe there's some application here for us. Jesus used his power to heal. He did the best to the worst. Does he not still do that today? Does he still not do the very best for even the worst of us? Aren't you glad to know that we may have found ourselves on the other side of the line? We may have found ourselves lined up to be enemies of God. 
We may have done things that we are ashamed of, our family is ashamed of, and the world may be ashamed of if they only knew. We may wrestle with things hidden down in our heart that are so gross and so horrible that we have had our self-esteem even ripped from us. We may have things going on in here that we feel as though we are disgusting on the inside, and yet Jesus does not save by degrees. Think about it. If you have murdered 50 people, He does not give you a lesser salvation. If you have murdered thousands of people, He does not give you a lesser salvation. If you have walked out on your wife seven times, He does not give you a lesser salvation. He still gives it. Abounding. The, the, the same promise is offered to all. A free, total cleansing of all of your sins. A new person you will become. A home in heaven you will receive. The only thing that comes in degrees are the rewards. The salvation. He still does the best for the worst. Wow, in that moment, all that could have gone on. He could have unleashed His divine power in any number of ways. But in this rarity in Scripture, in this rarity of a miracle in the final week, the week of His passive obedience, Jesus deems it necessary to grab that ear and put it back on an enemy's head. He blessed an enemy and He gave us an example to follow, love your enemies. Do good to those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus would not ask us to do something that he himself did not do perfectly. Now the final one. The fifth point. This one little miracle is perfect. We look at it, we think it's strange, we think it's reactionary, but no. I believe it could not have been more perfect because in this one little miracle in a secluded garden, late at night, early in the morning, with very few people even seeing and understanding what happened, Jesus foreshadowed, foreshadowed His redemptive work on the cross. Think about what Jesus just did. Like that. In a moment. What literally would have taken seconds to happen. In that one miracle. It literally encapsulates everything that he is about to do on the cross. What do I mean by that? Listen carefully. The ear was separated from the head. Ears don't belong on shoulders. They don't. Do they Josh? Resident ENT will tell you, ears don't belong on shoulders. They don't belong on your belly. In fact, ears are kind of like the wrapping on candy. I really feel like God got so much extra skin that He just wound it up right here, like a, like a little thing of candy, and left it right there. It's a funnel for us to be able to hear. It goes right here on the side of your head, and that ear was separated from where it belonged. And what separated it? Sin. Sin literally separated that ear from where it was supposed to be. 
What got the ear back? Jesus. Only Jesus. Reaching down. Scooping it up. Sticking it back on. Jesus did what nobody in the time could have done in the same way. Jesus' work was a miracle. And it was a restoration of Malchus's head. Friends, when Jesus died on the cross, when He stretched out and said, it is finished, you know what He was doing right there? He was literally making it possible so that we who were separated from Him through sin could be restored back to where we belong. On the head. I don't think it's any coincidence that Jesus is referred to as the head of the church. Friends, there are a lot of things I struggle with in Scripture. And even if you look at this story, everything seems backwards. Betrayed by a friend. Backwards. Shouldn't happen. One of his closest followers who would have heard just as many messages as anybody about peace and kingdom principles acted outside of those principles. That's backwards. And then Jesus would heal the enemy's head. That's backwards to our thinking. But the one thing I can't get out of my head and that I wrestle with greatly about this story is how hard, how hard do their hearts have to be to say, okay, you're coming with us. How stone-like would you have to be to see this man not fight against you, but heal you? How, 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 how hard is that in your chest to see this good action and then still haul him off, arrest him, cuff him and stuff him? How, 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 how does that work? And you know, just when I look at that, and I'll tell you, I know this is an argument from silence, and as far as logic goes, it's a horrible place to stand. But let me just suggest this to you. Don't you think that if there were people who said, I can't do it, I'm out. No. uh -uh. After what I just saw, no. I'm done. You can take me to jail, but I am not arresting that man. I would have loved for someone at that moment in the garden to have a centurion moment to say, truly, that man's a son of God didn't happen don't you know that the gospel writers would have recorded it don't you know all four matthew mark luke and john all four evangelists get a record from differing viewpoints of this one miracle don't you know had one guy said no you guys take him i'm out i'm not touching that dude he is good he is the son of god i'm out don't you know that that would have been recorded in the gospels it would have been a memory verse for you it would have been a memory verse for our kids we'd be singing songs i'm not in he's the son of god that would have happened friends 
It would have happened. We'd have made praise songs after it. Beth Moore would have written a Bible study on it. It would have been in there. It would have happened. But not one of them, not one of them record anybody saying, I'm not touching him. He's the Son of God. Not one of them records anybody saying, all right, I'm on his side now. Not one of them. Which leads me to the question, how hard is their heart today? Jesus has done by far more then place a new ear on your head. He has done more than place an old ear back on your head. Jesus died on the cross, but God, let me say it like the Bible says it, but God demonstrates His love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How could someone behold that mental image supported by the truth of Scripture and know that it was done for you and say, no, never, ever, ever underestimate the hardness of the human heart. But never underestimate either the power of God to turn, as he said to Ezekiel, the stony heart into a heart of flesh. Friends, this miracle protected the disciples. It revealed his willingness to give himself. It blessed an enemy. It gave us an example to follow. And it foreshadowed the beautiful work that he was about to do atop Mount Calvary. There's a lot for us to do this morning. Maybe there are relationships. Maybe when I said that word restored, it hits you right there. Maybe you know there's some restoring you need to do in your relationship. Maybe there's some things you need to get fixed and get right. You know what? If you say, I can't do it, what are you going to say? What are your excuses? They're too bad? Really? How does that line up with the scripture tonight? Maybe you say, but you don't know what they were doing to me. It was retaliation. Really? How does that fix up? How does that line up with the plumb line we've just read? There is no excuse. No excuse. Good enough. To look this story in the face and say, I can't do it. It's not a matter of can. It's a matter of won't. Will you allow God to restore your marriage? Will you allow God to restore your relationship? Will you allow God today to restore you?